a lot of the songs that I've been writing recently that have been feeling really good to me have to do with mental health or has to do with just not feeling your best. I think by acknowledging it and writing it down, literally just writing it down and saying it out loud and saying it out loud. I am calling it right here and right now. Songwriter and musician Emmett Kai is going to be huge, like massive. All right. Big in the traditional sense of fame and fans. Yeah, totally. Household name big. Yep. But more importantly, big in the sense of of pushing genres and influencing other artists, other musicians to be more authentic to trust their voices, to not pander to what they think others think is cool, and to be successful as themselves. And that's why we're talking with Emmett, Emmett Kai, on this, the 76th episode of the Nice Work Podcast. I'm your host, Todd Brilliant, and not only are we going to talk with Emmett about his uh, career arc and philosophies and process, uh, but also his tennis game and his struggles with mental health. Who isn't struggling with mental health these days? You? If you're not, feel blessed, my friend, because that that makes you a leader and and a super nice, valuable community resource. So maybe think about lending your clarity to others. Anyway, we also talk with Emmett about the classic, uh, you know, big fish, small pond syndrome that keeps a lot of people from fulfilling their potential. We debut his new single, Happy Go Lucky. And uh, by debut, I don't mean play it first because it hit a couple days ago. I mean, play it like second or third, but definitely first in a podcast. I don't know. Maybe he's pretty big. So maybe Joe Rogan already blasted the song out. That would have been a couple days ago, 48 hours ago. So by debut, I mean like hot on the heels of Joe Rogan and maybe... uh, Tucker Carlton, although I'm not really sure who Tucker Carlton is, actually. I just, I've heard the name. I think he's a reality show host. Let me backtrack real quick. I I shouldn't riff these intros. I should write them down. I'm going to backtrack and call it a worldwide debut, and you need to crank it up on your Alpine stereo, and if you're driving a Pontiac Fiero and you can prove it, I will send you a free hat in the mail. All right. Since this is episode 76, I'm going to read from page... 76, and the book I'm currently reading, it's the thing I do on this podcast, you probably know that. The book is the Bhagavad Gita, read this years ago, and I just kind of feel like it's a refresh. My friend Rusty asked me to reread it recently because he wanted to do some conversing about parts of it. Uh, All right, page 76, ready? Let's see what you get out of this. I don't know, just going to drop in in the middle of the Bhagavad Gita. The mystic's point of view is more subtle. For them, the battle is an allegory, a cosmic struggle between good and evil. Krishna has revealed himself on earth to reestablish righteousness, and he is asking Arjuna to engage in a spiritual struggle, not a worldly one. According to this interpretation, Arjuna is asked to fight not his kith and kin, but his own lower self. Mahatma Gandhi, who based his daily life on the Gita from his 20s on, felt it would be impossible to live the kind of life taught in the Gita and still engage in violence. To argue that the Gita condones violence, he said, was to give importance only to its opening verses, its preface, so to speak, and ignore the scripture itself. 
Yeah, it's right in there with super nice clip. What a, that's great. That's, all right, Bhagavad Gita. All right, one more thing before we launch into this great episode. The Super Nice Club is coming your way this fall, COVID permitting. The Bring the Nice Tour is hitting major U.S. metros and even the ones where we're wanted. If you want us, reach out. You want to help organize your local nice event? They're going to be like 80% having super nice times and getting to know super nice people in your community and I'm 20% working with local organizations to do super nice stuff. It's the 80-20 rule. So if you want to help out, we want to hear from you. Message us. You can text me directly, like directly, like into my pocket, 310-421-0393. Let's do this. Turn off everything else, tune out the rest of the world, and drop in to nice work with super nice superstar Emmett Kai. Emmett, Emmett Kai, what is going on, man? How are you? What's up, man? I'm good. I'm good. I'm. Uh, I, I just ran some errands. I microdosed some mushrooms this morning, and I'm um, just taking care of business today. Wow, good for you. You microdosed some mushrooms this morning. How do you do that? Do you have it pre-prepared for you? Do you grind it down for yourself? How do you dose? What's the What's your trick, dude? These days are actually giving. Well, they're not giving them out like candy or something, but they're, you can buy these packs of um, these capsules that have like the perfect dose where you don't even really notice that you're doing anything special. But then all of a sudden you, you're like halfway through your day and you're like, damn, I got a lot done today. I feel just good. And then you're like, oh, yeah, maybe it's because I took a little psilocybin this morning. Yeah, it's supposed to be pretty much sub-perceptual, right? Right, exactly. I don't, I don't feel it. The only thing that I, I can really say about it is that I I can barely feel this difference in my in the tips of my fingers that I correlate with taking mushrooms when I was younger. So it's like that same kind of thing where right, you right, right, feel right. like you can feel the tips of your fingers feel like you're touching an ice cube or something like or not not like cold but just like this weird sensation of they're mm-hmm. they're they're sensitive. But anyway, I'm good, man. How are you? That's great. Um, great. Glad to be talking to you. Um, we go back a little bit, so it's nice to have you on the show. W- are you in Brooklyn right now? Where are you at? I'm g- I'll be in Brooklyn later this week, but I live upstate New York now. I moved on like the second half of the pandemic, 2020, around like November. My uh, partner and I drove across country again for the second time to make it back on the east coast we spent the summer on the on the west coast in northern california we just decided we we didn't want to live through another fire we we got hit hard by the fires and you know as hillsburg and sonoma county does every year and like we just kind of put our finger down on a map and we landed upstate in this cute town called kingston kingston new york that's great yeah and so you're liking it. You dig it. You've got a spread, it looks like. We're loving it, man. Yeah, we've got like a spread. We just bought a house. Stoked to just be kind of where we're at. And like navigating life is just like a trip. I'm like thankful every day for how far I've come and how far we've come as like a couple and a partnership and stuff. And it's just wild, man. It's, it's, it is, it's a cool little town. It took me a while to kind of like break into it and get used to it and feel comfortable and meet people and all that kind of stuff. But I've done that enough in my life. I've like shaken it up enough to where I'm, I think I'm just kind of used to that. It's kind of like the awkward haircut phase, but like with proximity where you just like don't know (laughs) where to go. You don't know who you are and who the other people are. And for a second, you'll start thinking like, 
maybe there are like no cool people here. But then like it hits and you're like, oh, there's like, there's cool people. There's like-minded people here. And then it just grows. You meet them. They sh- show you their friends, et cetera, et cetera. And it just kind of like blooms. What's the, what's the approximate population of Kingston? Oh, dude, I couldn't tell you. To me, it's like, I don't know, like 20 people. <laughs> like it's, it's just such a small kind of like crew that I run with. And I kind of, I kind of block everything else out, I guess. But I don't know. It's, it, there's, I just looked it up. It's 23,000. So I was 20 something. Yeah. Yeah. All right. No, I'm curious because you and I met years ago in Healdsburg, California, which was then was probably under 10,000 and now is still probably only 13,000, something like that. Right. 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 Yeah. So that's a small town. Yeah. It's about At Kingston, 23,000. It's still a small town. It's right? pretty small, but we got the superstores like Santa Rosa kind of has. So I always like, you know, Healdsburg doesn't have... You can't just go buy socks somewhere, right? Like right. you, you got to go to Santa Rosa to go like get just normal underwear, socks, or shorts or whatever. Going to high school in Santa Rosa was like a city to me, and this place reminds me of Santa Rosa in the sense that like you have your little kind of like your high schools and your suburbs and all your cute neighborhoods and coffee shops, and right. then you've got like the super malls and like the Targets and like all that crazy shit. Uh, this is interesting to me now because a lot of what I wanted to get into with you here, of course, your music, your art, and which we're going to turn people ah. on to. We're going we're gonna to play a song here in a little while, folks. We're going to play a brand new song, but you got to wait for that. You got you to gotta wait for Emmett and I to, to rap for a little bit. You come out of uh, a very sort of classically idyllic, tiny Northern California town, uh, which over the years has, has evolved into a very touristy, high-end, boutique town. But at its core, it's still just a tiny little Northern California city, right? Healdsburg. Yeah. You moved from Healdsburg. You took the big jump from the Bay Area, the larger Bay Area, to you moved to where first? Did you move to, to Manhattan proper or Brooklyn? Where did you first jump to? I always lived in Brooklyn. I Yeah. I, I, yeah, I jumped from Healdsburg to Brooklyn in like three it was like a three month turnaround from the decision to to me buying my plane ticket and then going out there yeah i remember talking to you at a coffee shop in santa rosa that you were oh yeah. yeah yeah you're like ah, i think i'm gonna bounce i was like man i think this is a good move for, for him not everybody i think can make a jump from ten thousand to however many 10 million plus right but yeah. that is such a big jump and you did it to pursue your art, to pursue your music, to continue that progress because you were kind of, had hit your, uh, uh, you'd hit the wall of what you were going to do in that area, right? Yeah. And actually, when you think about it, I was pretty old for that to happen in the sense that a lot of people leave to go to college when they're Mm -hmm. 17 or 18, right? And I never did that. I never went to college. I never really had that experience of just living somewhere. I had toured and I, I had done all the touring and gone to all these other cities in Europe and stuff like that. But I was never like really living. And I was always coming back down, back to Hillsburg or Santa Rosa or wherever I had a house at the time. It took me a while for me to make that decision. And I was 20, I was 25. Okay. I mean, that is super young, but it generally speaking, like that was the first time I had ever really left. And so I don't know, a lot of my friends or a lot of people that I met in Brooklyn were like a little, even if they were like a little younger or my age, they had already been living there for a while, or maybe they went to NYU or maybe they went to college somewhere else, but they're 
their uh, degree took them to New York or whatever. And I always felt kind of a little off center. Like I wasn't really, they were like, what brought you out here? And I was like, I don't know, music. And they're, you know, right. And it was always kind of like, um, man, it's just the biggest learning curve. I had no other choice. I just kind of hit the wall, like you said, and was like, this is, this is happening. I, I took a trip out here with my business partner, Nick, Nick Monaco. And, um, he bought me like a round trip ticket to New York with him. And we went out to all these parties and I performed a little bit, but really just kind of enjoyed myself. It was, it was summer. It was like September. I was like, holy shit, this is insane. Like this is the last place that I ever thought I would ever live. Right. And so at the airport on my way back home, I was feeling so emotional about everything. And I just, bought a one-way ticket back and I was like, okay, I'm, I'm doing this. Yeah. And that was, what year was that roughly? 2017. Was that before you put out your first, uh, the, the EP? That was that October, like the month when I got back. October 2017, I put out my first record under my own name. Is that Midnight? Midnight and Juicy, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then I moved in November. Shit, it was a month later, I was at a show with this random dude who I connected with through like the music, just through music stuff. And he had an extra ticket to go see the band uh, called The Drums. You know mm-hmm. that band? I do. And so we went to go see The Drums and I had never heard their music before. I'm, I guess I was like living in a cave, but I went to go see their music and we pulled up at the bar to get a beer. And he looked over at me and was like, so man, how does it feel to have like a song that's like, doing really well and how did you get on all those playlists and i was like what are you talking about and he was like oh shit you don't know like he was like you don't know dude like you're kidding me and like it was i was like what are you talking about i didn't know what playlists were on spotify or like (laughs) anything really because dude like when you come from hillsburg i didn't have anybody to tell me what any of this stuff was really like i was making playlists for myself I didn't know that that was like how, what broke artists into like a thing. Anyway, so he pulled out his phone and showed me and my song went, for, it had like 25,000 plays, which was like amazing, which was like a lot for me, you know? Right, right, right. It was like, that was a lot. Like that was the first record I had ever put out. I was doing like a total leap of faith of like, you know, self-esteem. I didn't know where it, where it lied in that music. It was a whole new ground for me. Cause before that I was just DJing, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so now I think that track has pushing 5 million on Spotify. Yeah. So and and more obviously elsewhere. Yeah. And here you are just coming from Healdsburg. I have to know, did you know anybody in Manhattan or did you just show up and start from scratch in terms of finding your tribe, finding your people? Cuz I think a lot of people get intimidated by that. You know, there's a lot of people out there, some of whom are listening right now. Like, man, I just I know I've hit the wall, but I'm kind of comfortable being a big fish in a small pond. That's that's kind of seductive, right? Like you're owning your small town. Yeah, yeah. And I I'd could, like I could to think of a this, few people like that. Yeah. But I would like to make the leap. But my, you know, you're putting so much of your ego on the line. You're putting so much of your self worth on the line. Am I just going to be another one of those big fish that get chewed up by the by the sharks? Right. Once I get to something like New York or LA sure. or Chicago or you know one of those major cities in the states, how did you find your people? Well, 
it's cool that you brought up like the big fish in the small pond or vice versa. Like it's, I find that the more that I get older and just kind of grow, I think about that. I think that it's really inspiring to just be a small fish. I'll, I'll get, I'll answer your question, but what, what yeah. that makes me think of is like, right when I, where I come from, where, where, you know, where we lived together, you and I, yeah. like it's predominantly, you know, white and Latino, Hispanic, the, you know, like the white people that come into, to Hillsburg are like, it's lots of tourism, lots of money, lots of stuff that I didn't really know. It's just like Berkeley, California, where it's like, it's kind of uh, this bubble where you don't get really that much exposure to this like outside diversity and stuff. And just, it's such a bubble. And when I moved to New York, I remember telling myself that I was just going to shut up and just listen. I was just going to like come out here and not try to like act a fool or like not try to be like some crazy artist, like not try to be loud. Like I didn't, I didn't have anything to say, man. I just wanted to like come out here and just learn because like I was coming from a place where like, sure, I just talk and talk and it just becomes this vicious soundboard where it's just ricocheting back and forth with all your peers and people. And I wanted this to just hit fresh ground where I didn't know anybody. And now I'm coming to answer your question, but I, I really didn't really know anybody. Like the only people that I knew is I had, I had an auntie who lived in Manhattan, but she didn't live there when I lived there. She was renting out her apartment as an Airbnb and she lived in Denver. And so she gave me my first little hustle of cleaning her Airbnb in between guests. And so oh, I was, really? I was making, okay. yeah. So I was making like pretty good money every month just doing that. I was able to um, pay for a shared studio space. So like, that was like the first month that I got there. I, I locked in a studio space. Um, I met the person that I met on Craigslist, ended up knowing a friend of mine from San Francisco. And so we had a connection there and we're still, we're still friends and we still talk. I rented that studio for like a year and some change. Um, I had a friend of a friend who owns uh, the Black Flamingo in Williamsburg. And so him and I hung out a bunch. And then other than that, it was kind of just like, just like walking around, dude. Like when I think about it, I was really just kind of walking around and like, waiting for you know like waiting for people to invite me to things or the coolest thing dude actually was that there's this group called buscabulia that's um from puerto rico and they're like husband and wife duo and they have a kid charlie and i was big fans of their music before i left like i was playing their music at big festivals and clubs and stuff like just djing i was just like playing yeah. i'd play their track and and uh, i had some remixes of it that i would i would toss in there too sometimes and whatever so i was just like a big fan and they inspired a lot of my work that I was, I had just debuted at that like time, right before I moved. And so I pull into Brooklyn, I move all my stuff in my, my stuff. It was like a suitcase in my guitar. That was like it. And, um, I was looking for shows to go to. Cause I was like, Oh, I'll go to shows. I'll, I'll have a cigarette with somebody outside. We'll get talking. We'll sh exchange numbers. And that's how I'll meet people. So I saw that Buscabulia was playing at this tiny club. It was like a matinee show and I didn't have a job or nothing. So I just, I just pulled up and went. And, um, Luis, the, the husband, the guy, like the second half of the thing was outside by himself having a cigarette and I walked and I recognized him and I walked up 
And dude, we just became friends like immediately. Like we just, I didn't even like your plan worked. I played it hella cool, dude. I, I played it super cool. I didn't like bring up that he was like an artist or anything, or I knew who he was, even though I did. And we just started talking about stuff and, um, we exchanged numbers and I went over to his house a couple times and jammed and like, we still stay in touch and it was cool. Like stuff. It was a lot of stuff like that. A lot of just organic kind of like meeting people and yeah. And then your music, your music evolved too from there, right? Just all these new influences. I've, I've, you know, pretty familiar with everything that you've done so far and the evolution of it, the growth, that's gotta be so much of that just from being where you're at from Brooklyn, from being out there. Yeah, man, just meeting all these artists and going to shows and just seeing kind of like what what's out there. For me, it was like coming from an electronic scene and like a dance kind of club scene, but always playing in punk bands and always listening to the Cocteau Twins and My Bloody Valentine or like, you know, Stevie Wonder, or like whatever, like always listening to all this other music. It kind of comes back to that I'm just going to shut up and listen part because I really was like just taking all inspiration in, whether it was like Puerto Rican block party or something in Bed-Stuy or Bushwick or like, you know, some like crazy reggaeton club or something like that. It's all was just like hitting so many. Everything was so everything's cool, dude. Like, that's what I realized. Yeah. I was like, everything is just so cool. Like and now I'm actually getting to the point where I actually am starting to think I'm, it's like I'm finding even more cool things about music when I thought that I capped out. As soon as you think that you like tapped out or you, you're you like all like you've just capped out, you're done. I'm like still just get my mind is still getting blown all the time. I saw speaking of musicians, I saw um, you have a Spotify playlist. I don't remember. I think it's just like the Emmett Kai playlist or something. Sure. But the first track on there is uh, Eve's Tumor. Yeah, 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 yeah. How great, Such how great, great is artist. that dude, right? Have you ever got a chance to work with that guy, meet the guy? I, um, I'm not sure what their pronouns are, but I think it's they, them. I think Is it? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, 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 I have not, I've reached out to them a couple of times. I actually don't think that they're like really that approachable or that, um, I think they're kind of like in this, in this area where they've created their own, like, I mean, you just see their album covers and their, like their, their art, art direction is so incredible. It is amazing. I picture like, that's where that dude is living all the time. Eve's tumor is one of those artists that I, I've always kind of like been obsessed with, like since the whole package, the, the whole look, package, the music, yeah. the art direction. Yeah. I'm right. honestly, right, so we, I'm trying we to get on, on Eve's tumor. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to get on some of that shit. Honestly, like I, I I'm Yeah. Also with uh, Mickey Blanco. Oh yeah. Uh, I was just kind of hoping that I'm like, oh, maybe Emmett knows Eve's tumor. That'd be great. I uh, not yet, but you will. Let's just put it out there. I Eves, I would love to meet you, Eves. Yeah. Eves, connect with connect with Emmett, please. I also don't want to forget to give a big shout out to your mom, Ariel Ross. Yeah. Ariel. She was just hey. she was just here visiting actually for like the last. Oh really? Yeah, a couple oh. weeks ago. Anyway, Ariel, I miss you. She's killing it, dude. Great. Great human being, Ariel Ross. Everybody, yeah, get she's a chance the best. to meet her. You're lucky. She's the best. Yeah. So you've been up there for a while. If there's anything you could do, would you would you tell your younger self? It's kind of classic question. In that big move, that big leap of faith move that you made, would you have done anything differently, or do you think that just getting that one way ticket and going for it was the best thing? And and that's how just just how it went. It's how it's supposed to go. I wouldn't do anything differently. I, I, 
it's like a, it's a yes and no but, but i mean come on like i'm i'm stoked like i i'm just i'm just thankful like i i wouldn't do anything differently i i would say that if there was another version of myself that was living through the same kind of like experience and it was young and that version of myself was younger that yeah i, I would come in and be like in, in, in a way, I do have that. I have two younger brothers that are like significantly younger than I am because my parents are pretty young. And um, they are kind of going through similar things that I've been going through. School, like not liking school, but, you know, and then like trying to navigate, I guess, like just friendships and growth and leaving friend groups and getting new ones and stuff like that. But I guess like... I guess that, you know, I, I always thought that I always told myself, like, I'm not going to be that I'm not going to be the guy who's been living in Hillsburg his whole life. Mm -hmm. Although I love that about people that like my friends and family that are like that. Yeah, I, I do too. I love that about them because that is like, I think that we always have this tendency to want to trade lives with people like people look at me and they go, Oh, I, you know, I wish that I traveled more. Like I wish that I took more chances on like other towns or whatever. Like my dad, mm -hmm. my dad, for example, he always says this thing where like, I always try to get him to come visit or like, I always try to pick his brain about like moving away from Santa Rosa or Sonoma County, you know, especially with the fires and stuff. And he's always like, he's like, dude, I wouldn't be anybody if I moved out of here. Like here, like, you know, here I have, all my connections i have works like steady work i have clients and like all kinds you know as a carpenter and stuff he's like i've got good weed i've got good wine i've got the waves like what else do i need if i move somewhere else i'd have to find all that out you know for the first time and i get that for sure which is why i think that i i did it and i'm i've been i've been doing it i'm not actually still settled yet like mm -hmm. like i'm gonna be in la for like a month in october and just working and I'm going to see what it's like to live out there, I guess. Right. So anyways, I get where my dad's coming from and I love that. I, I, I love that. And I, I admire that. But at the same time, I, I don't think that that's really for me because I need to kind of pull from all these different sources in order to convert it into like a song or a record or like even writing for somebody else. Like I do a lot of music for other people and help people with their records. And it's like, I still need that, that uh, yeah. separation. Well, it's, that's the beautiful thing about family and community, right? It's that the people in our lives that uh, are always in a certain city, right? They stay there. They, they become our historians, though. They become our anchors. People like, yeah. I don't know, uh, Chris Herod in Healdsburg, oh, yeah. for example. I'm just, just throwing out names. But what's up, Chris? You know, these are people who have been there for so long, and they will be there. And when we're out there traveling around, we know we can go to them and, and feel rooted back into a place that is super meaningful to us. And conversely, they get to enjoy you being out there. They get to super enjoy vicariously you going out into these different cities. And when they're out there well, traveling, Chris, rarely, Chris specifically you know, does come to New York and says what's up to me. I was going to say, right? Yeah. When they're out traveling, I just, you know, good guess, right? It, so I think that as a community, we fulfill kind of a big holistic thing there. Some of us can stay, some of us can go. And if we stay in touch and we appreciate each other, 
then it's it really is best of both worlds. Man, you don't have yeah. to be both. I think yeah. that that's I think that that's the most beautiful thing is really like that's what I've been paying a lot of attention to lately is just just staying in touch with people, giving people that that phone call. Like I call I call up friends of mine. I've got this friend Andrew who ran the studio in Brooklyn that I was at all the time and and I really only went to the studio. It was an amazing studio, but I only went there to play frisbee and get high with him. Like that's all that's the only reason I went. Like we'd work on music. We'd work on music, but he was like, "Bro, you just want to go play some frisbee really quick and that frisbee session would end like hours later and we just be talking and like it just anyways, camaraderie is like so important to me and I think to everybody, but I still I still call him. He lives in Philadelphia now. I have friends in Portland. I have friends in like mm-hmm. in Portugal and like Barcelona and like every all over the place. And I just try to keep those relationships tight and healthy and stuff because they're, they're, we're, we all kind of help ground each other when we land in these different areas, right? Like if I ever go to Hillsburg, I know that if I see Chris Harrod at the farmer's market, I'm in, I'm immediately going to feel at home. And Absolutely. Yeah. 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 And that there's so much value in those, in those people. And I do personally sometimes wish I had been that person, but you know, my mom and I bounced around so much when I was younger. It was by the time I was my own person, it it was that opportunity had passed. Totally. Uh, And I spent more time in Healdsburg, Santa Rosa than anywhere on this planet. So I definitely feel connected to those areas. I I went back to Sonoma County a couple weeks ago, like I said, earlier and to for my buddy's birthday and just like and uh i was going through like a lot of anxiety a lot of different a lot of different like kind of mental health issues like in that moment while i was there and Mm -hmm. so that could have been a catalyst for a lot of my takeaways but one of my takeaways was just like driving around i knew everything like the back of my hand i i knew how to get from point a to point b i didn't need gps or nothing like i i totally was i know that area the whole bay area north bay etc like but uh it started like dawning on me that i i was this this is like slow this is not my home anymore right and like Mm -hmm. and it was kind of like this um it's like a death you know it was like kind of like a death and a rebirth situation where i felt like this chapter is literally ending before my eyes. Like I'm watching this close and my new one is starting back in New York. Even though I've been here for years now, I've still like, it's still just, it's starting in its own way. And there's, it's constantly happening like that, you know? And so I think thinking back about that previous question of like my younger self is just like, stop worrying so much about what the, what's going to happen because a year ago, I had no idea I was going to live in Kingston. Mm-hmm. I, I'm just, it's just so important to let go and stop thinking about like what the right move is and just think about like, what do you want to, what's the right move for now? I completely agree. And I hope that anybody listening it takes that to heart, especially if you're kind of on the fence. And it doesn't have to mean moving from your town to another town. It could also mean moving uh, to a different career or trying to find a different spot within your company that, that you don't have comfort for right now or relationship issue. There's so many different transitions that we want to make, but we get hung up for different reasons uh, and letting go, going for it. That's, it sounds really simple, but it's really hard. It is really so, hard. I've been actually, I've been, I've been putting a lot of practice into it 
and so it's it's not like it is just some easy thing to just like switch and sometimes when it is an easy thing i think that it can actually kind of backfire a little bit like you you do have to you do have to work for things you know but i think that loading it up so much like that feeling like it's so loaded Mm -hmm. doesn't it doesn't always have to feel like that something that just popped into my head todd was like back in the day i i don't know this is before i even thought about moving to new york this is a while ago but back when the goat was still like around yeah and uh i would walk in and my mom would walk in and you'd be sitting there at the table and you'd be offering free advice oh yeah the free advice sign i still have that sign i love that yeah i got kicked out of a market here in la for for uh, putting it up that's great brentwood country market not nice. Not nice. <laughs> Not super nice. <laughs> Not super nice of you. <laughs> yeah. So hey, let's let's jump into your music at last. I really want to get people just to know what you're all about. So let's. You've got a new song that just dropped a few days ago, mm-hmm. right? It's it's your new big banger, Happy Go Lucky. I'm gonna play it real quick. All right. Yeah, that's. And then we'll come back and. Uh, you can tell us about it, cool, why man. it's awesome, you know, all that kind yeah, of stuff. Yeah, let's do so, it. That sounds rad. Hold on. Everybody, you get, okay, everybody ready? So if you're at home listening, I want you to just stop for a second. I don't want you to listen to this song in the same space as listening to this conversation. Pause. Get in a better place to listen to music. Get something where you can turn up the volume. Are you listening to this, like, in your car? That's, like, the best, all right? Probably the best. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So turn it up. Yeah, happy go lucky when you ask. Let it go Always in and out Bad facts uh, 
Damn. There we go. That's happy go lucky. Uh, right on. <laughs> it just landed. Tell us about it. I, I want to know where that came from. Yeah. The, thing, the inspiration, uh, where you were at when you were when you were writing the song, where you were at mentally. Yeah, dude. I um well, I'll start by saying that Alexandra, my partner and I drove across the country to to California, left Brooklyn, and we drove five days we made it back uh on the in the North Bay in Hillsburg. And I set up the studio uh, at my grandma's property and um man i was just like i was just writing so much and that was the only thing that really stuck and i ended up working on that song from like probably july 2020 until well, let's see uh may may of 2021 wow. i was mixing it adding vocals i had um, I had all these friends contribute and I was just like, I just really want this to be perfect. You know, I want this to sound like a type of way I played live drums on it. I played, uh, I, I like had this kit that was just collecting dust at my grandma's in my, my grandma's house that I, I grabbed and I fixed it up and polished it and like bought a bunch of microphones and just set up this home studio and recorded live drums and got that sounding really good. But yeah, man. I mean, the the name of the song "Happy Go Lucky." I those were the first three words out of my mouth when I was laying down vocals. So I, I just kind of shouted that out, and that's what became kind of like the hook and the catchphrase of the song. And I think that you know, one thing that I, I like to tell people about my process is that I hardly ever write with any intention. I don't really write with like, okay, I'm going to write like a breakup song or something. That's just cliche, but that's right. just like where I go, right? Let's just say like, I'm going to write a breakup song. It's like, I have to not write a breakup song first. And like, if I don't write a breakup song, if I write a song or if I write a song, that's not a breakup song, chances are it'll end up being a breakup song. Like, I get you. you know what I mean? So yeah, I, I wrote that song out. I wrote the, down lyrics. I freestyle lyrics. Things kind of come to me. It's like a lot of uh, process of elimination type, you know, pr like trial and error. And I realized after I got the skeletons of the song done and I was sending it off to people to like add their parts into kind of whatever, um, yeah. I realized I was like, it's just so significant in so many different ways. Like my girlfriend, uh, Alexandra's like this happy-go-lucky person in my life. At least, I mean, at least that's how I've always kind of experienced her is that she's just so positive laughing her laugh is contagious every time she walks in a room everybody is just so like she she could take a funeral into a party like you know what i mean like she, yeah, yeah yeah she's just like so positive dude and she and i'm not <laughs> like i'm just I, I i you know i deal with depression and like and anxiety and like i i've an addiction and stuff like that and i've always been this mm -hmm. I've always thought of myself as like a negative person, which makes me, which has made me more negative in, in some circumstances. Writing that song was kind of this like play on both worlds was like, 
she's kind of like the one that's kind of keeping me at bay while I'm, but other, but then on the flip side, I'm the one that's kind of like also pulling her down in some ways. And there's a lot of like in the song, I mean, it's been so long since I've, I mean, it's just been going through its mixing and mastering phases, right? Like since until the release date, but looking back on it, there's so many little lines that are like little kids kicking and screaming in the back of the car or like you're driving to a, like you know like a image in my head where you're driving to a party and your dad it's like your dad's party or something and you're like already wanting to go home and he's telling you know and he's and you guys are fighting or maybe you're bickering or whatever and stuff like that just like all these little things but the sonic quality of the song and like the emotion that i wanted to get out of that song was just like ballad super like let's let's go you know like Let's dance. Let's get positive. It's, it's like positive, dude. You know, it's like a ha- happy-go-lucky yeah. song. It like yeah. it goes it up, dude. Anyways, do you find? Do you think your friends and family, uh, when they hear Emmett Kai's got a song called "Happy Go Lucky," do they they think they kind of laugh? Do you think because if you think of yourself as a negative person, do you then associate that song title with a little bit of a of an irony? <laughs> uh, I think my mom would like would say that. You know, yeah. like I, my mom would probably be like, she knows, and Alexandra would say that, man, they know like kind of the ins and outs of me and how I operate and kind of like the stuff that I go through on a daily basis. But I genuinely think that most of my friends wouldn't really, um, I don't think that they would really pair the two, my depressive states and my happy-go-lucky states or my, or they wouldn't compare the two as like, well, this is funny. This is ironic because Emmett's actually a pretty negative person because I'm not like outwardly negative, you know, like I'm like, let's fucking go, dude. And if people that deal with depression, know, it's not like, it's not like I'm just like moping around all the time, like trying to kill the vibe. Like I want the vibe to be, I want the vibe to be like superior. I just, yeah, I'm, that's called dealing with depression. Yeah. I want the vibe. Yeah, you're striving to be not there. I'm striving not to, not to be depressed. It's just that I, you know, you deal with these things. It's like chemicals and stuff like that and whatever. It's all these, like your surroundings and just, it takes so, a lot of work to get through. And I think that actually some of that is just acknowledging that and just like putting it down in a song and kind of having that juxtaposition and playing with it. Uh, a lot of the songs that I've been writing recently that have been feeling really good to me have to do with mental health or has to do with just not feeling your best i think by acknowledging it and writing it down literally just writing it down and saying it out loud and saying it out loud like not just kind of under your breath like whatever but like i the other day i just kind of like screamed it in a healthy way i was allowed that i gave myself permission to do that god man it felt so good and it felt like a step closer to being to to catching that vibe you know what i'm saying (laughs) so is happy go lucky going to be part are you just going to keep doing what is is kind of the way things go now, which is you just put out singles, right? Singles are how it happens. Are you going to put out, uh, are you going to collect it into an album anytime soon or what's the plan? I really don't know. Like I, I keep thinking about this, but the, the, where I stand right now is no. I feel like, I feel like Happy Go Lucky is like a song that really stands on its own. And we shot, we, we shot a music video for it that's out with the, with it now. And yeah, and it's, um, your, your videos, um, you guys just have to stop and spend some time uh, watching Emmett's videos. I'm glad that you Sorry to interrupt you, but they're just 
Like, I, I understand that you're dead serious about your art, about your music, the craft of it, but you poke fun so often at the idea of taking yourself too seriously in your imagery and your videos. Like, I don't like... Oh, well, let's get okay. real with it, dude. Go, go ahead, yeah. go ahead. I'm just saying, I'm biased. Like, I watched, I rewatched... In prepping for this, uh, high for weeks, right? Sure, sure. And you're you're in a dressing room, isn't that? Isn't that the that's the, the goodwill good in Hillsburg, yeah. man? Yeah, it's the goodwill in Hillsburg. I'm like, oh shit, he's at the good. I've spent so many hours in that goodwill dressing room with right. my young son, Justice. And then I'm thinking, man, if you don't know Emmett, <laughs> you might not get that he's totally clowning the whole sort of you know these tropes around mirrors and dancing and and uh, it's. I, I think it's genius. And it's not even, you're making no pains to go like high quality with your, probably <laughs> shot with your phone. Yeah, right? it was shot with the phone. I love that, man. And I love the way you even position yourself back with Juicy. The, the way the dress, the whole thing, your approach to your visuals. I, I think it's top notch. I don't know. How has that been for you? Have What's the feedback been along the line? Do you, do you think everybody gets it? I don't know, dude. I don't really, you know, it's like, I don't, I, I can't, I can't really care anymore if people really yeah. get it. Cause it's just not, it's not a part of it. Like, I think that the fun thing about the videos is that I shoot them all with Alexandra. So she, she's a, she's a director. Oh, okay. So she's a pretty good job. Alexander. She's done like pr- both on the yeah. side, both sides of like production and, and directing and stuff and for like really high end stuff. And I'm not going to name names, but because that's not cool, bro. But I'm going to just say that she she knows what she's doing and she's always got like a great iPhone, like the, you know, like the most recent model of the iPhone where I don't. And I'm always like getting hand-me-downs from like, you know, friends or Craigslist finds and stuff. Right. And so we, with that video, like we just were, here's the thing, like picture this. Like I'm, I'm like the musician. I, I love writing songs and I have all these visions for music videos but I'm getting frustrated and I'm getting, I'm getting defeated by lack of budget and lack of, I have these ideas. Like we were talking about Eve's tumor earlier, you know? And I'm like, their videos are insanely like, it's just incredible. And I, I I love it so much. And I'm actually, I, I friends of friends with some people that do know that side of things, the directing of the videos, right? Which is cool. They cost like $25,000. And that's like, that's cheap, dude, for like, whatever. that's like really cheap. So I'm sitting there, I'm getting, I'm getting really defeated. And Alexandra's like, let's just, let's just go to the Goodwill and just like go, go shopping and take your mind off of things. We are in the dressing room and I'm trying on these, like these pants and I'm like getting this ridiculous outfit together. And I'm like, yeah, you know, maybe this would be a cool outfit for a music video. And she goes, all right, let's shoot it right now. And so we're in the dressing room. It's like 2 p.m. on like a Wednesday or something. We're just shooting this music video. My music's playing off of my phone. She's shooting it on her phone and it just happens. And then we like go on a drive and we we go on a drive and we shoot next to Jesus who was doing the fruit the fruit stand and Jesus was super cool. I gave him like 50 bucks. Uh, I bought I bought a thing and then I gave him fifty more dollars. Just to, I was like, we're just gonna be ridiculous around you for like twenty minutes. I'm sorry, buddy. Yeah. And it comes out like it, it came out, and that's kind of what happened. And um, I think that people end up loving it because it's like how I'm going from being this defeated artist of not having enough money and resources to make like this grandiose vid- music video, but then I end up mm-hmm. coming out with something that's like just as if not better than that. It's more real. I think people can like, 
really relate to it. Like the average person can really relate to it. Everything about it is you can tell that it's done as a send up of a serious video by somebody who knows what they're doing. That's what I appreciated about it. Anyway, and and, and it's like that with a lot of your stuff. Uh, Everybody go watch, go watch, uh, go watch Emmett's video. Tell you what, first person who texts the uh, Super Nice Club Insider line 310-421-0393 with the reason why a certain Emmett video is your favorite, I'll send you a, a hat. Send you super nice. Let's go. Go, go, be the first one. go get the hat. Gotta be the first one. Go get that hat. Go get that hat. But that means you gotta watch the other videos. This video, the, the happy go lucky video that just came out. Yeah. We shot that. It's a similar situation. I had this whole like idea, right, for this for this mm-hmm. video. It was like still COVID, so we weren't nobody was there's was no vaccinations. We were all still trying to be safe and stuff like that and navigate that world. But I I had to get it done and like I found this car photography studio in Santa Rosa that I checked out years ago for a music video that never happened with this guy, Mike Chase, who's this old hot rod photographer. So he lives in the studio now. It's like this huge warehouse with that you roll in cars and, you know, whatever. And it's this, this psych and we brought lights and he had lights and it was just me, Alexandra and my little brother, Sullivan, all that was the crew. I was like, let's build a set. So we built it. We built that set, and we did a couple costume changes, and we just had fun. It just made sense, and we spent maybe five hundred bucks on the whole thing, which is nothing. I mean, it's like sometimes you feel like it's like okay, I either spend zero dollars or ten grand. Right. Anywhere in between is a joke. But no, we spent like five hundred bucks, and we got this killer video, and it was super fun, and. I think it's just all about having fun and making sure that the people around you are having fun doing it too. And that's kind of one of the, one of the blessings of being able to stay independent, right? Like, yeah, exactly. It's another good. So, and I know, you know, even with friends and you know, far better than I do, but friends that, that have label contracts with, with big labels, they'll, they still might get a, you know, a music video budget for a, a decent sized band might still only be 10 grand. It's just there's not a lot of money being spent promoting and marketing, uh, it, whereas it used to just be insane. Like in the late 90s, early 2000s, you could spend $2 million on a hip-hop video. Like, Easy. The funny thing, too, rare. is that like in the, in, the, in the late 80s, 90s, whatever, if you spend that amount of money on a music video, right, like, a, like millions of dollars or, or, or so, yeah. now you can do that same video for like your monthly payment of your phone bill with like your iPhone and like your neighbor homie, you can like go out and shoot that. It's not gonna, it's gonna, you can even make it as grainy as, as like an old like Miami booty bass like track, you know, that right with like some, somebody with like a unbuttoned shirt and like the winds blowing through it. You just gotta kind of- I'm thinking maybe that's your next video. <laughs> just, just a thought. Throwing it out I actually, you know what? It, it's really cool, man. Moving out here, I, t- I teamed up with my friend, with my friend Joey. And we have a mutual friend, Oren. Shout out Oren, Cyborg Oren from Dr. Phil. I don't know if you guys know who he is, but he's a really good friend of mine from Brooklyn. So Joey and I kind of got together and he's been itching to make films and I've been itching to just like get creative and make stuff. And so I think we have a little bit of higher quality videos coming in the future because we just shot this. I'll, I'll give a little sneak preview, okay? We just shot this short art film that I conceptualized over the winter. It's basically like a spinal, it's my take on like spinal tap, but for like a birding 
album. Somebody's trying to make the best birding album of all time. And I play I play the character and I score I scored it. And so we're gonna be premiering this short film at my show in Brooklyn September thirtieth at Elsewhere. It's gonna be a big deal. I mean it's it's high but it's a high not high budget, it's high quality. September thirtieth in Brooklyn? Yeah, so if anybody wants to come out, anybody nice. who if anybody's listening to this and you wanna come out September thirtieth it's going to sell out so it, really fast. Tickets go live on, on, well, I guess at this, when this comes out, tickets will already be out. So it may already be sold out, but, uh, you can always DM me and I'll put you on the list. We'll get, Where's we'll get at? you in elsewhere. Small little club in uh, Bushwick. It's where I actually met my, uh, my partner, Alexandra. Oh, nice. All right. Well, I'm just asking because I'm still putting together the super nice club, bring the nice fall tour. We're going to hit up a bunch of cities around the U.S., so maybe I'll time it to be around that time. Yeah, man, I would love to. That'd be cool. Made a note, man. We could, we could, maybe we could just ingest some of your merch at the show, too, or something like that, because it's nothing wrong with pushing super nice club. I kind of tend to agree. I totally agree. Going from the videos, though, and this talk about independent artists, a lot of that, if you're going to be independent, so many artists, they really lean heavy on social media to promote themselves. I don't see you really doing that so much. What's your take there? <laughs> I mean... Like one of your biggest tools as an independent artist and you're kind of like, meh, but it's working for you. I want to hear your theory on that. That's a, it's a funny one. You know, I think, in, I think like for people that can use Instagram as like a, as a, as a total tool, mm-hmm. they, they fucking know what they're doing, man. Like they, they, they know what they're doing and they're able to do it and they're able to like get that content and like not the art, dude, they're able to get the content and just push that content, photos of themselves, events that they're at, living that lifestyle, that imagery, like all this stuff and it's constantly flooding and it's, I'm just going to be honest, dude. Like I'm not like that. Like my life is not like that. I'm not constantly at photo shoots. I'm not constantly like at parties and events. It's just not, I'm not that dude. And so when I post something on Instagram or on my Twitter or like whatever, I think, well, one, it's because I have something to show you that's my work. At this point in my career, it's only my work. I only post my work because anything else is, is irre- should be irrelevant to you. M- me and my, you know, my girl and my cat going on a walk because we walk our cat. That's irrelevant to you, man. You don't need to see that. Also, I don't need to see you. I, I listen, like I've already touched on some mental health shit, but like I grew up with Instagram being the norm kind of right. Like, I mean, Instagram came out when I was like freshly out of you know what? I was like 20, 20 something, maybe 18 around there. That shit fucked me up. Like it, I, it's, I, I love it. Like it's, I love that it's a tool, but that's all it should be is a tool. What I found myself doing was like, I, I've been like watching stories of people for 10 minutes is too long. Therefore, I just don't use it anymore. I use it as a tool. I don't use it as like a, as a living space. And I think that's why some people are like, wow, like you're really not, you're not out there like posting every day or you're not out there like your Instagram stories aren't constantly flooded. It's like, yeah, it's because I'm trying. I'm really trying to just live in the moment. 
the more that I find myself on Instagram, the less I find myself in the studio working on that next hit or like working on that next track or working on that video. And it's not inspiring to me that Instagram is not, it's inspiring to some people, but it's not to me anymore. I can find inspiration through YouTube or, you know, Pinterest is cool or just reading books and shit. I'll also say this, social media is very key for like artists these days because you really you really can grow your your fan base or your followers or whatever you can just by posting and just by being authentic and doing all of that stuff and i still do that i find actually that the less that i'm posting bullshit and the more that i'm just posting my work um i'll be raw with you for a second the other day i had therapy and i was telling my therapist about how much i judge myself based off of other people's lives and how this has been a problem of mine forever for since i was a little kid before social media even existed i've always been like this hypercritical of myself always wanting to uh, like succeed and always wanting to be better than like my peers are just like like stars like people that have millions of dollars i want to be better than them or um judging myself for not hanging out with those people or not being there with them and all these little micro subconscious kind of like things that you don't even realize are happening. And so I was just got done telling my therapist this and then I break down with my girl and I tell her the same shit and we have this whole conversation about it. Then it's time for me to go on Instagram like 10 minutes after we like wrap up this whole like thing and it's time for me to go on Instagram and make a post because I'm promoting this new record, the, the one that we just showed you guys. And... I post it and I delete Instagram right afterwards. Alexandra tells me later, she's like, she's like, this post is blowing up. And I'm like, hands up, just let go. I'm like, that's amazing. I didn't ask for this. I just am like letting it do its thing because it's authentic. And I, I really felt when I posted this, it was a good thing. So that's where I'm at with all of that kind of stuff. Yeah. Authenticity is, is such a beautiful thing. And when it lands and it propels someone forward in the public eye, I love it. Personally, I also fear that inauthenticity, posing as authenticity, is more often rewarded. And it's harder and harder to tell through the lens of social media, which is which. Of right? course. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's frustrating. You don't want to be duped. You know, it just like, oh, I thought that was real and it was all bullshit and it just it kind of as a whole society not individuals as a whole society we get more and more skeptical we get more and more skeptical of people's motivation somebody posts on their struggle with um, body imagery or something and then you, it's only 10 seconds before everybody's hating oh you're just doing that because you want to get views right 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 like we're we're in a tough place as far as that goes so if you can post something and have it shine through bravo i think that it's fantastic. i think that actually you know it's like i left instagram to be more of like that distant friend who i rarely talk to and i picked up tiktok as like my as like my pride and joy because i found that for tiktok you're making things for tiktok yeah. which is so fucking fun. And I have so much time in the day. Right now, I have time in the day to make a TikTok video that is stupid and silly and fun. And I'm like, and it's like all also creative. Like it's a little bit creative. Like I'm like, damn, like yeah. I'm editing a Mac Dre song to this. My big thing has been like making tennis outfit videos on like the top three tennis outfits round one and then round two round three and like doing and i've been doing that because i'm obsessed with tennis so my point is is that i guess like some people it if it works for you that's awesome 
you just got to know when it doesn't anymore and when it's like time to kind of switch it up and like that's all I'm kind of thinking, you know, it's like, I hear you. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's all important. I think it's all like, they all, they're all tools, dude. Were you, were you root, rooting for Jokovic? I don't know who I was rooting for, man. Coco Goff is like awesome. Like I was, you yeah. know, and then like, I, I'm just so new to tennis that I, I, I just wanted everybody to win. Like, I was just like, this is, I just loved watching everybody perform and stuff like that. But I think like, I was rooting for like, what's her name, man? Like Emma Rad- Raducanu. And Coco Goff, because they're like young, they're 18, 17, they're, they're like women smashing it, just like fulfilling their dreams. It really made me feel like I'm 28 and I was like, this is give, watching them play these matches is like giving me a whole new uh, wave of energy. It's like my, I'm getting my third wind or second wind or something, you know? So are you playing tennis? Are you out? You're like tall. How tall? I'm six, six four, four. Yeah, almost. Yeah, yeah. So you're out there playing tennis? I am, man. I am. I in, play in upstate New York. Yeah, Emmett in upstate New York playing tennis. Yeah, out here. Co- that's fantastic. I'm like the only fool that's like wearing like covered in tattoos and like has like earring like an earring like in stuff and like, but I pull up to Beacon and Dove Short style. Yeah, well, I pl- I yeah. I play with I play with these really tiny little uh, little tiny little things, dude. They're like these white Adidas shorts. They just go up to my chonies, like you can almost see my balls. <laughs> so distraction is your play. People are going to be like a little bit weirded out by me. I'm gonna I'm gonna sneak it by them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, get yeah, strategy. Strategy. I, get it. Yeah. I feel you. I feel. I actually, yeah. I actually am like really struggling to find people to play with. Like, like I, I have to beg people to play with me. I have to teach my friends how to play. But I'm just like, and then I'm like slowly learning the tennis community out here and like getting people's phone numbers and setting up games and stuff like that. So like, if don't be shy. Like, if you are upstate and you play tennis, or you know somebody who's a tennis fanatic upstate. Like, tell them to contact me. I'll probably be down. How, how good are you? On a scale from like one to 10, I'm probably a three, but 10 being like Nadal or something, you know, like I'm, I'm probably a 2.5 to a three, which is a long way to go to get to that level of like Wimbledon, but I'll get there, man. You know? Yeah. You'll totally get yeah, there. Yeah. 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 It's never too late. So what's the work in LA in October? You're going to be in LA for a month. Yeah, man. We got to hang out. We so definitely got to hang all, out. Got to reach yeah, out. Let's what are you doing out here? I'm uh well, I just signed this publishing. Uh, I just signed a pu- with a publisher with Peer Music. So my rep is out there. The main office is out there. And I've got so many friends in LA that I have made over COVID or I've made just before COVID. And like, just there's so much music to be made while i'm out there and just to switch up the scenery you know i go to la a couple times you know four three or four four times a year usually and so um i uh yeah i'm gonna be out there for a while just kind of i think i might be in laurel canyon kind of vibing out and like seeing setting up some sessions and hanging out with people and making art and stuff like that oh that's great i like to go out there for that because it's it's different than... But no shows. Any shows? Uh, I have one show, and that's that's September. That's this year, and I did that on purpose. I, I didn't want to overextend myself with travel and just money. And it costs a lot to tr- tour, you know, when, at, the, yeah. at this stage. It's like you have, to, you have to be making money. You can't be, like, doing it the other way around anymore. So next year, I have, I have some exciting stuff kind of happening for 2022 on the West Coast. And... 
we'll be getting into that a bit more, but I, I can't really, I can't really say, share any details right now, unfortunately. Well, the club will get you behind you uh, when the time. Yeah, comes. let's go. What? I mean, I got to ask you, what's your view of a nicer world? Throw something at us. A nicer world, man. I, you know. Yeah. What does that look like to you? What's like a, what's a, I actually, a key point. I feel like I do kind of sit and think about this, you know, like, I would like to go as far to say like there's people just being more understanding of like everybody. I mean, there's a lot of backwards ass shit that I see and it's just like a lot of anger, lots of hate, lots of shit that I am not going to get too specific on. But I think that you one could listen to this and imagine what that is and like could picture not hard could picture it because we all really do have like if you close your eyes and you're and you really think you're like about what uh, anger is in your life, you think of something Mm -hmm. and like, that's valid, dude. And I think that like, that's the thing is like realizing that people's struggles and stuff are, are valid. I think that we just need to be more loving and like, not as just like uptight and judgy towards each other. Like I, I, you know, I'll say this, like I had a roommate for a while in Brooklyn and he didn't trust anybody and i was like why bro like why don't you trust anybody our postmates delivery guy will like come up and he's like yo what the fuck like who are you and i'm like bro he's just the postmates guy like calm down like what are you doing (laughs) and he was like i like to let people prove their worth to me and i i've always been the type of person where i give people the benefit of the doubt until they prove me otherwise kind of i can't live the other way man like I can't, I, I can't go out. I can't go throughout my life thinking that everybody is like out to get me, or they're out to let. They're like they're or they're stupid, or they don't know what they're talking about, or like I can't trust them. Like what the fuck, nah, dude. Like I just want to live. I want to live like thinking that everybody is kind of my friend, and I might die that way, but whatever. At least I died knowing that everyone's my friend. <laughs> you know. It's definitely a nicer life. It's definitely a better headspace to be in. And I think I've been in both. I've been in both spaces throughout my life. I've been fucked over a lot, man, too. Like, I'll, I'll say that. I've been fucked over a lot. I've had, I've had really shitty managers in my life. I've, had, I've signed really stupid deals with people. I've gotten, I've played shows where I was in the middle of Kentucky and I didn't get paid. And like, just stuff like that where, you, you know, where you're like, I should be losing hope. I mean, there's enough things in the world for us to lose hope. I just try to keep it in in pocket because, you know, what's the alternative? The alternative is to get super bitter. Right. And just carry that with you everywhere. Exactly. And, and bitterness is also, sadly, contagious. It is very contagious. You know, I, you know, the idea that being a little nicer is contagious, truth, truth. Bitterness is contagious. It's, it's the Postmates person came away from that experience bummed out bummed out and maybe it's going to protect that onto somebody else man yeah exactly so it's this this it's not the right choice the right choice is to stay open is to not get paid at a club once in a while um what's the name of that club what can can, super nice club members do carry pitchforks no i'm not we will we will mess that club (laughs) up in a nice way No, dude, I can't put them on blast. I'm totally kidding. I'm totally kidding. You know who you are. (laughs) Kentucky, please book me next year. Please have me back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I didn't. Actually, Kentucky is a crazy cool state. I love Kentucky, Uh, actually. I had some really bomb-ass Thai food in Kentucky, actually, when I was there. 
So if we were going to put that into a challenge for the listeners, you know, we wrap on these two things. We wrap on this idea of the super nice challenge. And that's where the, the guest gets to issue sort of a challenge to the listeners of the podcast. Like what's something that you want people out there to be doing to make their world or the world a little bit nicer? It could be like a little daily habit. You got something, you're raising your hand. I, I right, do. I, I do. I mean, I could think I could riff on this for a while, but like the first thing is that like, Go to a loved one. This is my super nice challenge, volume one, is go to a loved one. Go to like somebody you love and respect a friend or a partner, or like your parents, even your parents, dude, or like a coworker or whatever. And just say like, you know, hey, I just want you to feel comfortable letting me know. Um, let's see, how should I word this? Just let me know what you need from me. And, you know, when, if you're ever going through something, just let me know what you need from me and how to, and how to be there for you. Because like so many times we don't communicate how we need, like, uh, if you're in a fight with somebody and they're, or, or sorry, if somebody's breaking down in front of you and they're crying and you're trying to just come up with problem or like trying to solve the problem for them in real time so that they're like not mm -hmm. sad anymore, maybe you just need to just be there for them and just rub their shoulders and kiss them on the head and tell them that you're okay. Like whatever you need, just let me know. Or just whatever you're going through is so real right now. Cause so many times you're going through something, dude. So many times you're going through something like traumatic and nobody tells you that it's real and that it's okay to feel that way. Like you're just like, you just think that you're losing your mind, but you're not, you're just, you're just going through it. You're just going through it and that's all good. You should go through it. And so the challenge then is to approach someone and let them know that, if I'm hearing this correctly, that you're there for them on their terms. Yeah. And to sort of like, hey, what exactly. are your terms? Exactly. Thank you. Just you. Want me to listen. Yes. Okay. Thank you for. That's great. Yeah, for taking that and. Well, I only really learned that or was made aware of that as something to really consider when going to someone who's going through it. Marnie Alaba, who's a guest on this podcast, she's an author, creative artist. Um, she wrote a book called Mostly I Dismiss My Nipples. And it's about going through the adventure that is breast cancer. Yeah. Right? And that whole process. And a lot of what she talks about is how loved ones can be there for someone going through this. And so much of it is exactly that. It's like, hey, we'll let you know how to be there for us. And yeah. just listen. You know, coming back to what you said at the top of this, which is it's it's really about listening. It's not about immediately expressing some sort of cure. Literally, yeah, that's that's you that's know? been kind of uh, I guess an ongoing theme for me that I I lose track of, and then I have to come back to it and circle back, mm -hmm. and and it's it's kind of like meditation. Like a thought is always coming into your head, and you got to remind yourself to just focus on your breath. You know, stuff like that. Like it's I'm always trying to just be present and like. I think the reason that I'm saying this is because I've gone through something like that where I just needed somebody to listen to me. I just needed somebody to just be listening and just open to what I'm going through and then just to be like, dude, that's real, man. Yeah. Well, you got me. If you need it, I'll just put that out there. Hey. Always here to <laughs> Thanks, listen. Thanks, Todd. Uh, and it goes for anybody in Super Nice Club. You guys have my number. Your members of the Insider. You Discord? That number goes right to me. I don't have a Discord. Yeah. Oh, you should get should a Discord, I? man. I just started one for my own project. <laughs> Did you? Yeah, I started yeah. one. I've, I've thought about it. I, I, it's just I think that it bandwidth. Could be, it could be really good. I think it could be really, it's really easy to set up. 
Um, yeah. And just like over time, you can you just you know you just start it. You can have like a couple sub chats or sub a couple categories, and it'll right. take like ten minutes, twenty minutes to get it set up, and then people can just start doing it for you like people will start just setting it up for you after that they'll start creating sub things and whatever yeah i've thought about it it's just you know how it is it's just like can i add another thing to monitor but that's one that that i'm going to revisit it now that we've had this conversation i have one more question for you uh which has come up because as a fellow small town person i mean i was born in yuba city california oh wow all right and yuba city was tiny when i was born um spent some years in marysville not I'm not going to say anything bad about those areas because they're they're beautiful areas, sure. but they're definitely small town stuff. Do you feel like coming from a really small town, what kind of advantages do you think it brought you and still brings you in terms of your your character and your temperament when you're hitting the big cities? It's This is something I think about a lot. Well, I can say this, like coming from a small town, there were some obvious disadvantages that mm-hmm. I've, I've always kind of like put forward, which were I didn't have a crew of people that were all super like-minded that I've been writing with since day one, you know, since like 15 to being 28. I I think that we all went our separate ways at some point and we all kind of broke off because everybody, now this is to an advantage. We all wanted something like bigger and better because I think that we all like, we were so sheltered like in this little town there wasn't a whole lot to do and there wasn't a lot to, there wasn't a lot to like experience really. Like we, we caused trouble. We wrote graffiti. We smoked weed on the tracks. We went skateboarding. We broke windows and all this shit. But when that wasn't enough <laughs> or when we got arrested and that was like no longer an option, we like, we're like, let's start a fucking band. And like, we would start bands dude. Or we would, or I remember being in like high school and being like, um, listening to Cut Chemist and DJ Shadow and being like, dude, I need to figure out how to do this. And buying turntables, thinking that that's how you made this stuff. Mm-hmm. I had nobody to show me the ropes, really, right? YouTube, maybe not really. Not really, though. Like, YouTube wasn't really right. quite popping off like it is now. I think being from that small town and that kind of like that little lack of resource or outside, you know, influence you really just, you really do like make things your own way. You really just have to kind of make things happen for yourself. Um, You have no like, I remember there was this guy that I was like, I was score at this point I had been like scoring things kind of like I'd been like writing like synth scores and composing music and stuff. And I was really interested in, this was a long time ago, but I was really interested in like, uh, in scoring like TV or film. Right. Not that I am now as much, but I, at the time I had no idea what I was doing. So I just like went to him and it seemed like maybe that wasn't really like the, the right, the right thing to do. But he kind of took me in and kind of showed me like what I needed to see to make the decision that this isn't for, for me or this isn't what I'm, I, it, it just took me so long to figure out kind of what, what to put my, all my energy into. Is it mm-hmm. going to be DJing or is it going to be like in a band or whatever? But within that whole journey, I got to work out a lot of cool kinks and I came up with some really cool stuff and I'm really proud of like who I became today and the music that I'm putting out today. So does that answer your question? It totally does. It's the whole, it's the classic limited power. Yeah. I think that that's thing, like a really right? good way to go about it. Yeah. You don't have a lot. And so you have to create your own thing provided that you have the juice to even 
want to do it in the first place, right? Yeah, you got to so, have the juice. It, which you do, and it's been great to see. It has been Thanks, man. amazing Likewise. to see. So the last thing we do, how we wrap this is we get to flip the microphone, so to speak. You get to ask a question of me. Any question you want, you're the host, and you can fire away. Okay. Um, I got a question. So, like, Super Nice Club, I've kind of been watching this grow from, I feel like, stage one. Because it, it started in, in Hillsburg, LA-ish, right? In between. Am I wrong? Yeah, Santa Rosa. Santa, or Santa a house, Rosa. A house just off downtown yeah, Santa Rosa. By Ar- yeah, on the Arts District. So Yeah, exactly. So, like, you're obviously, like, take every year, even with, like, COVID and everything that's happened, like, you've taken it, like, super nice club. You've taken it, like, steps, 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 up and up. And, like, it seems like now it's at this point where you have, like, a podcast, merchandise. You have people all around the world that are, like, that, that fuck with your, your company and your brand and what you stand for, myself included. And... I think that I would like to know, like, if if resources, financial or whatever, if if none of that was like an issue or a roadblock, like, where where, right. where do you see this this company going, and how many people do you see it, like, do you see this touching and benefiting? Well, I think there's already eight billion. How many people do we have on the planet? About eight billion. I I feel honestly, I feel honestly like there's eight billion people that are already in the club. And they just need to be reminded like, hey, you know, we're pretty nice human. Humans are pretty nice. They're basically nice. You could be on either side of that. You can think that people are are basically good or basically bad or neutral. I'm on the side where I think that we're we're basically, quote unquote, good. Mm. Right. And there are days that challenge that. Absolutely. That's why I stopped watching the news. You know, right. like once a week I catch up on the news now. Yeah, sure. Um, but I, I do think that. In my dream scenario for the Super Nice Club, we have activated people in every city all around the world who are just dedicated to, you know, the tagline is making the world 10% nicer. How do you quantify that, right? It's just like, try a little bit, but I'm not asking people to become saints because that's not attainable for most of us. It's not even desirable for most of us. You know, a lot of folks would consider themselves like you, kind of negative or, you know, I've for years considered myself... Uh, a pessimist, kind of an asshole. And I would get that reinforced because that's how I would then behave, right? Mm. But always kind of, I'm not funny asshole. I'm, he's not really being me, right, right. but enough of that, right? And I just think that it is not, it may be a bit naive, but it's not wholly unrealistic to think that people can unite around the, the very simple idea of, yo, we got to be nice to each other and this planet that we live on, or we're all done, Right. The choice is do it and and sort of avert this path where, look, it's 131 degrees in Death Valley the other day. I know. Right. There's 116 in Portland. There's progress and then there's challenges, progress and challenges. I think that the Super Nice Club can be part of the momentum towards progress. Uh, And I think it could be a big part of it. It's just a matter of like with any business, and I guess it is a business now with investors and all of that, with any business, it's a matter of growing the, and I have to call it a brand because that's the world that we live in, growing the brand and it comes back to earlier part of our conversation in a way that is authentic, that doesn't feel like, hey, I'm just trying to sell some hats and shirts, which I could care less but about. But even selling the hats selling and shirts, the hats right? and shirts, man, yeah. even the selling the hats and shirts is like kind of promoting like a, 
it's 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 super nice to see a super nice club logo you know when you think of super nice club and you see the logo you start thinking like well what the fuck does that mean and you're like well probably it's a super nice club like it probably means that they're focusing on being mega nice and so then you're like it's like a whole rabbit hole that you can go down in like you know a one minute or 30 seconds of just thinking about it and like it might reinforce some positivity moving forward like through through some people so well it's the opposite of the doordash experience well it's not like you're selling monster energy t-shirts dude you know it's true but it is a great thing when somebody says hey what's that all about which they do if you're wearing the logo shirt or like the i believe in a nicer world shirt people will say what's that all about and then you get to have a minute conversation with a stranger and like well you know it's just about what does a nicer world look like for you and then you know that every time, like you said, they walk away going, huh, wonder what that is. Yeah. I didn't quite answer your question, Adam, no, to be you, honest, because I, I could go for hours about all of these parts of the Super Nice Club that we, I haven't even yet unveiled. There's, there's so much more to it than an Instagram page and some hats and some shirts. Sure, there's, sure. The, that's just the, the very nascent beginning of something. At the end of the day... I wouldn't be opposed to it being, I, I hate to say the word religion, but wouldn't it be cool if we had a religion that was just based on the simple concept of being nicer without any of the fear of hell or the expectations of heaven or any of the baggage of, of literature or this other religion over here is wrong, but it embraces all of it. Mm. I don't care where you're coming from. I don't care what your faith is. This is bigger than, than the religions to me. This is something that's an umbrella over all of that. Now, people who are religious out there in a classic way where that offends you, I don't mean to, all right? You're talking to a baptized Catholic, grew up in a part Jewish family with an atheist father and a ton of Mormon friends. Wow, you've got the whole... With a, de- with a, with a degree in religious studies, all right? I'm not offending anybody. I, I accept in, in all of it. I'm just saying... Even the big faiths of the world, you got to admit, y'all could be nicer to each other. Yeah, I I, I feel that. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely feel that. All right? That's where it is. It's, it's impossibly big to me, and I see the ceiling as... Uh, I think it starts... There is, yeah, man. There's no ceiling. There's it no starts, ceiling for being nicer. It does really start with, you know, kind of like our kids, too, and stuff like that. And just the younger generations and, and stuff, I just feel like... Especially, I don't have kids, um, but watching like my little brothers grow up and just having like somebody who is related to me who looks like me and they're going through the same kind of steps and the same kind of things that I went through. I had a really hard childhood growing up and I'm not asking anybody to call it that for me. I'm, I'm labeling it as it was hard for me. I don't look back on those days and be like, oh, it was easy. I was fucking straight A's and my parents were like totally fucking cool. And like we all, it's like, it wasn't easy for any of us. We were all kind of struggling and like trying to like navigate these waters. And so sometimes I'm like, you know what? Wow, we could really just learn from our mistakes and or not mistakes, but just from our experiences. We could just we, we just need to learn how to we need to learn how to learn from our experiences better, I think, and stop rewriting the, the same mistakes over and over or like whatever. There's just so many things where I see my little brother going through through stuff and I'm trying to make a better effort to just be there for the younger people in my life. You know, the young people, people that are young that feel like nobody gets them or nobody wants to get them or the parents want to just, I'm not saying that you're like this, Todd, because I know that you're probably thinking of yourself right now. Like, well, I have a son. 
but it's not i'm 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 just kind of saying in general like i i love what you're saying and i just uh we could ramble on this forever but it's true so many i remember being younger i remember the majority of adults and teachers etc they don't talk your talk they don't look you in the eye and you can tell they don't respect you and a lot of the problem is that too many adults expect respect from younger people to be just a given. Yeah. Respect needs to be earned between any two humans. I don't care if you're a teacher and it's a fourth grader. It needs to go both ways. And young people, they get it. They feel it. They see it when you're initially, when you're being basically what Emmett's roommate was, which is kids got to show up and show me respect first. They got to prove themselves to me first. Versus, man, I respect who you are. You're a 13-year-old with thoughts and ideas. It needs to be mutual. And it needs to be mutual from the moment that relationship starts. Are you following? Yeah. And, and when it isn't, younger people feel it, get it, know it, and it's a shitty feeling. I remember it. And it was the majority of the adults in the world around me. And the ones that weren't like that, I remember to this day. These were, they became, even if they didn't know it, my mentors, they became these adults that I'm like, oh, fuck yeah, man. I don't, I don't have to be when I get older, like I can still be cool. Dude, this is is something that I, I, I honestly, like I, uh, when I meet an older person, man, I, 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 and I, and they're fucking cool. It could even just be 10 years older or five, whatever. Like, yeah, Yeah. I, I make it a point. I'm, I literally make it a point to tell them each one of them. Every time I come across, I say, thanks for leading by example, because you, I can't wait to be your age and be as cool as you are. Because that is like, when you're young, dude, and you, you start worrying about like getting older because, well, cause maybe like the older people in your life that you've met kind of suck, but it's like, <laughs> they're not, they're not who you want to be. You're like, damn, this kind of sucks because they're busting your balls or they're fucking doing this or they're doing that or or they don't give you respect because they're expecting you to just respect them first before they do like what, just like what you said, you know, but I meet these older people. Like I told this, I I did another podcast that I don't think is out or I don't even know if it's going to come out, but I told the story where I was trimming weed in Mendocino four or five years ago or something like that. And I was around three like hippie ladies in their like sixties to seventies. And there's this one woman and she was trimming weed and she was like a lawyer or a mediator. She was so cool, dude. Like she was just so cool. We talked for like hours and I didn't, I didn't try to like shape myself to be like a type of person. I didn't try to change my, my vocabulary to like her era or like whatever, you know what I mean? Or stuff that she yeah. would understand. Like I just was myself hundred percent. And it was like two, three hours of us just trimming weed chilling, talking about stuff until I realized I was like, wow, she's so much older than I am. And she said to me, I asked her something about like, so do you like your job? Do you like being a mediator? And she goes, and she's like, oh, honey, I'm just, I, I'm excited for whatever's next. And she was like, in, in my book, I was like, what do you mean next? You're old, dude. But she was like, just already on this whole new thing of like, whatever's next, like I'm going to, I'm going to go she was like, I'm going to like kayak down this river and like all this stuff. And I'm like, dude. And I told her, thank you for being so fucking cool. I can't wait. I can't wait to be your age and be as cool as you are. Or I hope to be as cool as you are when I'm your age is what I said. Yeah, I'm sure you will be. If you just stay open and you don't forget what it was like to be younger, that's the big right. thing. 
Just just remember all the because all the younger yous are still in there. They're all still there. They are, man. I mean, you got you got to talk to them. When you stop talking to people, that that relationship disappears. So when you stop talking to your younger selves, it's the same thing. So that's my challenge to you guys listening right now. Pick an age that you were between like four and fifteen. Just pick a number mm. and just think about the things you did that year. I like that. Just think about them. Try to remember as much as you can about that year, all the little details. Try to like remember a day in school, maybe what a teacher looked like, all that kind of stuff, and crack that, crack that version of yourself wide open and, and see what it feels like. I love that. Anyway, Emmett, I love that you were on the show today. Appreciate it. Super excited about everything that you're doing. Yeah. I know you're just going to continue to keep rising. I'm looking forward to the the Eve's tumor joint that you've got cooking up down the down the road, which we just <laughs> manifested into being. And uh, I'll I'll see you out there. I'll see you out here in LA. Yeah. Hide your mom, Ariel, and uh, keep it up. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me on the podcast. This is super fun. I love what you're. I can't wait to get lunch with you or drinks with you in LA, man. And that's going to be super fun. I'll say one more shout out. Just like I got a show September 30th. Uh, Bushwick, New York, Brooklyn, New York. Come out, come celebrate. Yeah, love you guys. Thank you. So there you have it. A super nice conversation with the super nice human Emmett Kai. Oh, he's fantastic. And I hope that you go check out his music, right? On all the streaming platforms, but also on YouTube. Check out his music videos. And then since you're going to love them, share them. Share them with people. Use the old social medias, but also use the old real life. Hey, Becky, have you heard Emmett Kai? No, I haven't heard Emmett Kai. Well, check it out. I'm going to turn it up and you're going to listen to it. You're going to love it. That's, remember how cool it is to share music with friends? Yeah, get back into that. Do it with Emmett. Because um, remember, he doesn't use social media. He, unless, unless he's dressing up like in some sort of weird tennis cosplay thing on TikTok. So we need to help him out. All right. Uh, next week, actually two weeks from now, because we've gone to the bi-weekly bi-weekly programming to give you more time to catch up on all your lovely nice work podcasts we have one of my personal heroes a man named william ryerson founder of the population and media center that episode is really just sort of how we can save the world you know um actually how Mackenzie scott can save the world uh, it starts with eradicating violence against women which is something that william ryerson and his organization have been effectively working on for 20 years now with a really unique tactic. I can't really say much more about it, so you're going to want to listen to the episode. It'll be episode 77, When Twin Sevens Clash. All right, until then, everyone, please, please, please stay nice. If you want
nicer than you could put away your clothes If you wanted to be nicer You can teach everything you know And all we ask is that you just become 10% more nice That you just become ten percent more nice, and all we ask is that you just become ten percent more nice, and all we ask is that you just become ten percent more nice. So what? Big deal.